Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did, and how. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Vaborg Thun. Once more, we pause to let the smog from Victorian London clear from our eyes and lungs and travel to the new world and the golden age of serial murder, the 1970s. Between 1972 and 1974, Tonight's subject murdered at least four women. But he began his killing career much earlier, all the way back in the late 1940s, when he murdered at least one woman he had raped. In total, he is suspected of having killed 18 women. He is one of those serial killers that, in addition to acting cruel, looks very much intimidating as well. His name is Harvey Lewis Carignan, known to the media as Harv the Hammer. This podcast has in excess of 7 million downloads in total, but both my Patreon page and my Facebook page are only visited by a few thousand. On my Facebook page at facebook.com slash the SK podcast, you will find bonus content, exclusive Facebook live videos featuring me, and you can contact me, your humble host, 
directly, and I always reply in person. Also, as many of my Facebook listeners know, the Kickstarter project for the exclusive The Serial Killer Podcast coffee mug that changes color as it heats up is now live. We only need 70 more pledges to reach our goal, and the mugs will be shipped to, I am sure, very satisfied customers. Your pledge will make a huge difference. Go to theserialkillerpodcast.com and click on the Kickstarter banner now. Your support means a lot to me, and I hope to continue to bring you high-quality content for a long time to come. I know hundreds of thousands of people listen every single month, but the Serial Killer Podcast only has 46 active patrons. It is actually quite expensive to run a podcast every week, and if only 10% of my dear listeners donated $1 each month, the need for additional ads in each episode would drastically decrease. So please, take a moment of your valuable time and go to patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast and consider making a donation. Any donation, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated. Imagine, if you will, dear listener, Anchorage, Alaska, United States of America, in the year of 1949. It's summertime, the 31st of July. The apocalyptic Second World War is fresh in your memory as it ended only four years earlier. Anchorage was then, as it is now, not a very large city, and its location on the cold northern state of Alaska gives it a distinct frontier feeling. A young man, very large and muscular and rough-looking, was on leave from his station at Fort Richardson in Anchorage. His name is Harvey Louis Carignan, and he is in the process of raping a mother and grandmother. Her name was Laura Showatler, and she is 57 years old, as Carignan forces himself on her, violently penetrating her vagina, causing extreme trauma and pain, and finally starts furiously beating the defenseless woman on the face, again and again and again causing her to lose consciousness before internal bleeding and shock results in her death. Her face had been virtually destroyed from chin to forehead, bone and tissue crushed to a pulp under the merciless battering. According to the investigating police officer, the killer had been extremely strong and, I quote, With one punch, he blasted a hole through her skull like a rocket slamming into a tank. Less than two months later, Carignan attempted to rape Dorcas Callan, but she escaped. It had been early in the day, 
only 11 a.m., but Carignan was very drunk, and Dorcas noticed him as he stumbled out of a nearby tavern on Anchorage Street. He saw that she was looking at him and confronted her, asking her with a smirk if she wanted to take a ride with him. She refused and started to turn away from him. He shouted at her that he thought he knew her from earlier, at which she asked him to please go away and that he did not know her. Young Dorcas was by now very frightened, as the memory of the woman who had been raped and killed in this very neighborhood only a few weeks earlier now sprang to mind. Carignan was by now getting really angry, and he was blocking her way, not letting her leave. Before she could do anything, he grabbed her and started to drag her away from the street. They both fell into a ditch by the roadside and he was on top of her, tearing into her clothes, and she felt his hands clutching at her breasts, her vagina, her face. In moments, she was sure he was going to rape her. Dorcas was not as frail as Showatler had been, and she summoned all her strength, grabbing the soft dirt walls of the ditch as she screamed her lungs out for escape. The man on top of her was so very strong, almost inhuman, and he was by now beating her. But, as he stopped briefly in order to remove his underpants, she managed to kick free and sprang to her feet and ran across the street to the tavern. Carignan did not follow, and he fled the scene. Once in hospital, she relived the terror of the attack in detail through a mask of bruised and blooded facial skin. But she gave the police an excellent description of her attacker. It was so good that Carignan was picked up by police the very same day. Naturally, police confronted Carignan about the murder of Showatler. The police officer, interrogating him, made a fatal flaw. In the interrogation, he promised Carignan that if he confessed, he would not face the death penalty. Knowing that he had left plenty of evidence, Carignan was only happy to confess the murder if it meant he would not have to be killed by the state. His first trial stood in 1950 in the District Court for the Territory of Alaska. Third Division, Justice George W. Falter presiding. Carignan was quickly found guilty, and to his anger and surprise, the judge wasted no time sentencing him to hang by his neck until dead. However, at the subsequent appeal in the Supreme Court of the United States, the death penalty was overruled, as his interrogation was deemed inadmissible as evidence. Harvey escaped the hangman's noose, but forfeited his freedom with a 15-year sentence. Prisoner number 22072 was transferred from the Seaward Jail in Alaska to the U.S. Penitentiary at McNeil Island in Washington State. 
less than two years later, in 1952, he was transferred to the world's most infamous prison, Alcatraz. There he served eight more years, and on the 2nd of April, 1960, he was paroled. But who was this hulking, violent killer? Harvey Louis Carignan was born on the 18th of May, 1927, in Fargo, North Dakota. His 20-year-old mother was not married. When he was three or four, his mother married and had a second son. At the age of six, he was undersized and had a twitch in his face. He was also a chronic bedwetter and had an imaginary friend he called Paul. When Carignan was eight, he was sent to live with his aunt and uncle in Cavalier, North Dakota, which lasted a short time and he was sent back home. When he turned ten, he was sent to live with his grandmother in Williams, North Dakota, then sent to live with another aunt before going back home to his mother. He was still suffering from bedwetting and started stealing. At age 11, he was sent to reform school in Mandan, North Dakota, for seven years. During this time, he was diagnosed with childhood chorea, a nervous disorder marked by muscular twitching of arms, legs, and face, and Carignan claimed female employees sexually abused him. He wrote a letter to an author dated the 12th of June, 1993, where he says, and I quote, I had a teacher who used to sit at my desk and we would write dirty notes back and forth. I was either 13 or 14 at the time, and just show me a 14-year-old boy anywhere who wouldn't willingly and happily sit in a schoolroom and exchange porno notes with his teacher. I never got to lay a hand on her without getting slapped but she would keep me after school and make me stand before her while she masturbated and called me names and told me what she was going to make me do. None of those threats she ever kept, damn it. The bitch wouldn't even let me masturbate with her. I took my penis out and she beat the living shit out of me. She had enormously large breasts. She was truly a cruel woman. End quote. After his parole, on the 4th of August, 1960, he was arrested for a third-degree burglary and assault with intent to commit rape. Fortunately for him, the rape charge was dropped through a lack of evidence. If it had stuck, he would have been returned to prison to never be released again. However, as a parole violator, he was sentenced to 2,086 days in the federal prison at Leavenworth, Kansas. On the 2nd of March, 1964, less than a year after John F. Kennedy had been shot in the head and killed, Carignan registered as parole convict number C-5073. Later that same year, on the 22nd of November, 
he was yet again arrested. This time not for rape, but traffic vagrancy and second-degree burglary. His sentence was strict. Fifteen years in the Washington State Penitentiary at Walla Walla. However, although not the best at hiding his crimes, Carignan was not a stupid man. He applied himself while at Walla Walla and obtained a high school diploma, took many college courses in sociology and psychology, and submitted papers on sexual psychopathy. The paranoid personality and the well-adjusted individual. He read constantly, gained top marks, and studied journalism. His tutors were thoroughly impressed with his efforts and his apparent improvement as a citizen. However, when Harvey was alone with other prisoners, it was apparent that his psychological dark underbelly was still very much present. He talked of how he fantasized about nubile young girls, and he had developed a fixation on young flesh. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener, and as a man, I was, and am, often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations, but never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serial killer today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash serial killer. In 1968, he was paroled. A year later, he married Sheila Moran and moved in with her and her daughter. That same year, he was arrested for parole violation and suspicion of robbery. He was sent back to Walla Walla for another year and his new wife promptly divorced him. And so it was that a year after the Summer of Love in 1969, Harvey Louis Carignan was again a free man. Harvey was by now middle-aged. 
but he still had his rugged muscular physique, and on the 14th of April, 1972, he married Alice Johnson. She was a plain woman, very naive, and she fell for what she thought was a hard-working, decent man. She had a son named Billy, who was eleven years old, and a pretty daughter called Georgia, who was only fourteen. Harvey, having spent the last several years in prison, fantasizing about nubile young underage girls, was soon lusting after her. By now, Carignan had managed to lease a Savemore gas station from the Time Oil Company. It soon came to Alice's attention that her husband always had a string of young teenage girls working for him at the station, manning the pumps. The girls would never stay long, and left or disappeared, soon after having started, only to be replaced by a new girl just as young and pretty as the last one. Alice quickly got wise about Carignan being obsessed with very young teenage girls. He often approached girls he saw with obscene suggestions and remarks. Alice's daughter, Georgia, experienced Harvey's lurid attention, and when Alice confronted him about it, he flew into a violent rage. He would scream in her face, and often take out his anger on young Billy, beating him. Unsurprisingly, the marriage fell apart soon afterwards. The collapse of his second marriage seems to be the catalyst to Harvey Carignan's frenzy. On the 27th of July, 1972, Virginia Piper disappeared. It is speculated that Carignan had kidnapped her. On the 15th of October 1972, 19-year-old Leslie Laura Brock of Bellingham, Washington, was found dead. She died from several blows to the head. Witnesses later claimed that they saw her getting into Carignan's silver truck. On the 1st of May 1973, Kathy Sue Miller, age 15, answered Carignan's want ad for employees at a service station that he was leasing. She was a very attractive girl with long blonde hair and the faintest suggestion of freckles sprinkling over her fair skin. Carignan was by now 46 years old, but he looked older due to his ragged looks, receding hairline and a large scar across his eye. He met her in his car and offered to drive her to the office in order to fill out an application. Instead of driving her to the office, he took her to the hills, where he savagely raped her. Her body was found months later by two boys hiking on the Indian reservation north of Everett, Washington. She was naked bundled in a sheet of plastic, and had been beaten with a hammer which left nickel-size holes in her skull. On the 28th of June, 1973, 47-year-old Mary Townsend was attacked by Carignan at a bus stop. He attacked her from behind, 
knocking her unconscious. When she awoke, she was in his vehicle and he began to command sexual favors, but she managed to leap from the vehicle and escape. By May of 1974, Karignan had given up on Alice and started dating and living with Eileen Hunley, whom he picked up hitchhiking after moving to Minnesota. In August, Eileen broke off her relationship with him. She disappeared on the 10th of August, 1974. Her rotting corpse was found five weeks later in Shelbourne County. Her skull was imploded by the force of savage hammer blows, and she had been raped with a tree branch. This murder seems to have set off another frenzied bloodlust in Carignan, with three attacks on six girls in under one month. On the 8th of September, 1974, Carignan picked up 17-year-old June Lynch and 16-year-old Lisa King, who were hitching rides in Minneapolis. Once they reached the outskirts of town, he stopped the car and started beating June in the head and face with a hammer. Lisa escaped. While she was running for help, Carignan sped off, leaving June on the roadside for dead. Not satisfied with the unfinished attack on the two teenagers, the next day he picked up Jerry Billings, a thirteen-year-old hitchhiker. What follows is the police report on her attack, and I quote, The said victim was hitchhiking in Minneapolis when the defendant, driving a truck, camper, stopped, picked her up, engaged in conversation as to where she was going, and stated that he would take her to her destination directly. He then forced her to commit oral sodomy upon him, with the threat of hitting her with a hammer, which he picked up from a compartment between the seats of his truck. He compelled her to remove her clothing by threatening to, quote, put a hammer through your head. The defendant then attempted to shove the handle of the hammer up into her vagina, struck her several times in the area of her buttocks with said hammer when she resisted the advances of the defendant. Again, he compelled her to commit oral sodomy on him, drove to a cornfield, where he compelled her to lie on her stomach, where he attempted to have intercourse with her through the rectum. Then, for the third time, he compelled her to commit oral sodomy on him. Then he permitted the victim to get dressed and drove her home. End quote. If you are wondering, dear listener, what is meant by oral sodomy, it is the act of licking the swincter, the anus. Only six days after his brutal attack on Jerry Billings, Carignan picked up Gwen Burton from a Sears parking lot. He ripped her clothing, choked her into semi-unconsciousness, and sexually assaulted her with a hammer. He dumped her body in a nearby field, but she survived and was able to crawl to the roadside for help. 
Four days after, he picked up Versoy and Diane Flynn. He forced them to perform oral sex and would beat them if they didn't follow his commands. The two girls were able to escape when Carignan stopped for fuel. Two days later, Kathy Schultz did not show up at her classes. Her body was found the next day by hunters in a cornfield 40 miles from Minneapolis. As in the other cases, Kathy's skull had been destroyed by crushing hammer blows. By this time, police in Minneapolis were talking to their counterparts in Washington. And within days, survivors started picking Carignan out of lineups as the man who had abducted and assaulted them throughout the past two years. A search of his possessions turned up some maps with 181 red circles drawn in isolated areas of the United States and Canada. Some of the circles indicated places where he had applied for jobs or purchased vehicles, but others seemed to link him with a string of unsolved homicides and other crimes involving women. One circle marked the place where Laura Brock had disappeared, near Coopville, Washington. Another at Medora, North Dakota, coincided with the discovery of a murdered girl in April of 1973. Yet another had been drawn around the very intersection in Vancouver, where Mary Townsend had been waiting for the city bus and had been assaulted from behind and beaten with a hammer. In February of 1975, Carignan was tried on the attempted murder and aggravated sodomy in Gwen Burton's case. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity, claiming that God told him to kill those women. The jury was not convinced by the insanity plea, and found him guilty. He was sentenced to 150 years imprisonment, with the possibility of parole after 40 years. Carignan has not been granted parole, and turned 91 years old on the 18th of May, 2018. He is still serving time at the Minnesota Correctional Facility, Faribault. And so ends the tale of Harv the Hammer. Doing this podcast is a labor of love, and I couldn't have done it without my loyal listeners. This podcast has been able to bring serial killer stories to life, especially thanks to those of you that support me via Patreon. You can do so at theserialkillerpodcast.com slash donate or patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast. There are especially a few patrons that have stayed loyal for a long time. Amber, Lexi, Charlotte, Tommy, Anne, Christina, Mickey, Jason, Troy, Sarah, Craig, Lisbeth, Philip, and Maud. Your monthly contributions really help keep this podcast thriving. 
you have my deepest gratitude. Next week, we return to Jack and his victim number four. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. As always, thank you, dear listener, for listening. And feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast app, Facebook, or website. And please, do subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. Thank you. Good night, and good luck.